All right, welcome to the podcast, my boy. How's it going? It's going good, man. It's really glad. I'm glad that you're finally doing this. You've been talking about doing this for a while, so I'm happy to finally see it come to fruition. Uh, thanks. And especially because now we can talk publicly, usually what we text, um, long rants about a filmmaker who <laughs> we both, I guess, admire in a ways, but have critical opinions towards. Yeah, we have a very, very much a love-hate relationship. With I was just about man. to say that. I'm going to say it's a very much love-hate with this man. Um, to the people who don't know, it's Tyler Perry, and we're reviewing his film, uh, A Jazz Man's Blues. Uh, what did you think about it? You know, he said it took him 27 years to drop this one. Yeah, I'm not going to hold you. Like, I watched before, before I'm not going to lie, like, I was genuinely, like, intrigued and actually like was kind of excited to watch it i have a better understanding now now that i've like sat with it for a little bit i know i texted you right after and you were like i need some time yeah i like when you text me about my thoughts on the film i literally literally watched it and i was like finishing like me and my friend were literally up all night like me and her were just talking about the film and how it made us feel Mm -hmm. i was talking more a little bit more than her but it was like man i don't even i mean this is the time to finally do it but where to even begin with this so you say your piece first go ahead well no i mean let's take it back to like you said the part where you've seen the trailer because you know we're Mm -hmm. all in the group chat and you were like oh man i'm excited because the trailer so i instantly seen it on twitter and people were like oh man okay a lot of folks saying the same thing you saying of wow, he finally has a production value. Oh, wow, it's a period piece. Okay, he seems like he's getting in his his dramatic bag. And then I seen the perfect tweet at the perfect moment to describe that trailer. It looks like the Jim Crow South, the notebook. (laughs) And I'm like, oh, really? Okay, I'm gonna keep that in mind. Then I seen this film and it is the notebook in the Jim Crow South. Wow. But, but that is not a diss to the film, though. I will say right. that it's not a diss to the film. It's it's taking a story in a period of history and then you're making something out of it. Um, I don't know. I'm not going to say it's his best work because I still stand 10 toes down to Daddy's Little Girls. That's still one of the best films, in my opinion, by Tyler Perry. Um, but yeah it's really ambitious this is like a really ambitious film from him and it feels like he not only is it a period piece he has different locations that feels like it's not on the Tyler Perry Studios backlot which is amazing that's what I thought was great about it but my only issue the only I feel like two issues I had with it one is he is definitely cultivated this like soap opera play type of acting for his actors and like that type of directing like the play directing um and also the scene with the baby if you remember when she gives birth and they holding that baby that is the fakest baby ever it is literally a baby doll. oh 
Oh wow! Right. It is I a baby it. doll, like a legit baby doll. But it's not mm-hmm. a baby doll where you're like, "Oh, okay, it can pass for a real baby." No, it is like a legit baby doll, like a <laughs> hey, toy. Mm-hmm. I'm like, why didn't you just put a blanket over it and been like, "Oh my, this a baby." I would have believed it. You didn't have to show me the baby. Hey guys, how's it going? It's Malik here. You're listening to the Bit by Big podcast. Thank you. When they finally go to like the jazz club for the first time, and then like he has Bayou basically auditioning mm-hmm. and auditioning in Willie's place since Willie just ducked out of there, which we're gonna get to Willie in a second. Oh, I, not not just Willie, it's Willie Earl. Oh Willie yeah. Earl. True. <laughs> Willie Earl. <laughs> Willie Earl. <laughs> That's Willie Earl. Yeah, we're gonna get to him in a minute. Like, oh man, but the scene where I see like Bayou like standing like doing the audition and just the way the camera just rotated around the room I was like okay is he gonna do one of those like kind of long takes we just rotate around the room and it's just one shot but then to see it transition showing like the change in time I was like dang that like thank you Tyler Perry like okay this is how you like show use your shots creatively showing the transition of time and like you know again I was like okay like he's really using his toolbox here he's not just he's not just pointing a camera and like let it rip you know it's like there's actual angles here there's actually details in the frame and like you know I can just really I can just say right off the bat positives is like when Tyler Perry was talking about like 27 years to make this kind of movie and to make it, I really do feel it's the first time in a while. Like I've actually see, like it reflects in the filmmaking. Like he really was passionate about what he was making. No, for sure. That I can definitely say without question. It's like, Oh, did he care? Yes. It, this looks like a film that somebody cared about making. It was actually pretty interesting. Like recently back in July, I recently um, visited my grandmother in Virginia and we have like a lot of long lengthy conversations and you know she always sometimes jokingly not to her own fault but she always compares my journey to what Tyler Perry is doing you know I think that's a all black filmmakers um, yeah. thing. Have, have your family told you uh, you need to reach out to Tyler that you know see how if you got any jobs opening yeah and I'm just yeah, like you know oh, we got him on speed dial apparently uh, us yeah. young black filmmakers <laughs> I'm just like all right grandma I understand like it was more so less about that but she would always compare like journeys and stuff but funny enough this was the first time like oh jokingly but serious like it kind of gave me hope it was like my my grandmother is like a devoted like Christian woman and everything and she believes in God and we were talking about like Tyler Perry's recent works and surprisingly this is the first time where my grandmother actually she would never use this phrasing but this is the first time I've heard her actually be like, yeah, he's kind of fell off. And I'm like, oh, wow. what? You, grandma, you are like the <laughs> biggest Perry fan I know. And she's like, yes, child, I was watching I was watching his show Sisters and all this other stuff. And it's just like, it just don't make no sense. And like, I love my soap operas, but some of the stuff don't be making no sense. And it kind of looked, you know, that last movie, the something was going on with her. It was just, oh, it was just a lot. And I was, I'm just sitting there like really bewildered. Like, yeah, oh, like grandma, she's not just like, 
oh, she's not just blindly like loving it just because it's Tyler Perry. Like she knows good. She's always had good taste, but she knows quality. Mm-hmm. So it gave me hope to be like, okay, it's not just, oh, devote Christians are not just going to be like, oh, I like it because it's Tyler Perry. Like, you know, people know a good, that gave me confirmation. Like people know a good film when they see one. They just know. It doesn't have, they know when they're watching something and being like, that was worth my money. You know, that was worth an hour or two hours of my time. You just, everybody knows. It doesn't matter whether you're a cinephile or not, or you in the industry or not. I I think that would be interesting to see. Well, I don't know, you know, how much your grandma knows about uh, like writer's rooms and stuff like that. You know, like what stuff we talk about. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Because my grandma, she used to be um, a Tyler Perry fan as well when she was alive. And that's what kind of put me on to his stuff. We would have debates a little bit about it. But the thing is, it makes you wonder how much of his work would be different if he had different writers in those rooms, for the, especially for the TV shows, rather than just his films. Like, you know, I understand if his films, he wants to do them by himself, whatever. But the TV shows, like, my man, get some more people in the room. Man, I don't, I mean, listen, we've talked about this many times. It's like, he has the mindset, and I, I get the mindset because I'm currently in it. Like, he has the mindset of an indie filmmaker. And I Very get much. that, like, you got to do everything yourself when you, but the all, but the thing is the big difference between people like us and him is that he actually has the resources. That's the thing. It's like, and even my friend, when I were talking about this is like, yeah, he has the resources, but it doesn't mean he has to use them. But it's like, I feel you, but it also contradicts. Like this man talks about all the time about like, yeah, I was in a car and I had nothing to eat. Mm-hmm. And, I was, and it's like, yeah, like I feel you on all that, but like, you are now a billionaire, my friend. Like you own the largest film studio in the United States of America. A black man owns, that is an accomplishment. And the least you can do is like actually use this money that is going, that's the thing. He's reached a point where he doesn't have to worry about financial struggle anymore. He has, he has the two things that any filmmaker needs to consistently make films. And that's money and an audience. And he's, he's built that over the past two decades now. And it's like, so the fact that he still has this mindset years later to like cut corners and only do one takes, it's like, brother, you are good. <laughs> you have the money. Do the second How take, you Tyler. Take your time, man. Do the second take. All right. Like you can genuinely do it. And then it's like, I don't know why he feels it's such a flex to be like, oh, I shot this under a small smart amount a small amount of days and it's yeah, we like shot it in four days it's thirty thousand pages like bro you've overworked your crew like crazy <laughs> and then you talk to oh i'm so tired man like no wonder you tired like you you work in production hours that don't need to be like you said like if you got these thick scripts and you're trying to get everything done in four days let's be real you are not going to make something of quality in that capacity you're just not i think he my thing is this and to anybody that listens if they know Tyler Perry tell him how to you know get on the podcast get a brother a job but um mm-hmm. <laughs> you know let me just throw that one out there but uh it's definitely one of those things where it's like his films uh his films and his tv shows 
I was having a conversation with my parents about this a week or two ago. I can't remember, but I said, I am starting to wonder, does the money he make from his studio actually come from his projects or is it coming from him renting out the studio to other Hollywood, you know, um, things like other shows and movies like you know they did black panther the original one there and they probably have done number two there and then coming to america bad boys three all those things were filmed there and so much more are you making money from your tyler perry stuff or are you really making the most money from renting this out to other uh things i don't know i'm like losing the thought train of thought right now on the words no no that's good i think i think it's honestly both because like you know, he's worked on other productions before. Like mm-hmm. I was watching this one video where he was talking about his experience working with David Fincher on Gone Girl. And okay. like, you know, he said himself, like that was the first time he really like, he worked on other films, but he felt like working on David Fincher said like, he really got a newfound understanding for filmmaking. Like I've he seen that clip, up, I've seen that. You know, he brought, and I, I, I'm, I'll admit it, like, there's also a story I did, and you know about it. Like, I kind of went on a little bit of a mini tangent when he said, like, oh, I learned, I didn't know how to change lenses after working on Gone Girl with David Fincher. And I was just like, that's where I are heard you about it from. serious right now? <laughs> it was from you. I couldn't remember where I heard the I story was like, from. It was you. <laughs> I went online and I like wrote this tangent. I'm like, how in the hell have you done all this and you're just like, now learning to change lenses and all this stuff but then people came online and responded to it and they gave me some perspectives where i was like okay you kind of right i'm gonna back off but my reflection (laughs) on that though is still like you know i can tell so he's like he's a student of the craft and he's still like obviously learning you know i've like one of my peers said this one time is like it's a joke but also for real like he said tyler perry is the only one is the only filmmaker in Hollywood who can make um, student films without having to lose money on them. And I'm like, mm. dang, that's a good point. Cause it's like, he's, he brought, I'm like, go into that. And he was like, to be honest with you, like, yeah, these films are not good, but he can afford to fail. Whereas like if an indie filmmaker with like less money or other, if they fail, that's it. You got to yeah, wait that's... probably three, five more years to do that. Yeah. And that's what Flett, and he said, and he brought, that's his perspective of why he thinks Tyler Perry is fire. And when he brought that perspective up, I was like, that's a really good point. Mm-hmm. But I do say that because he's had experience on like other productions, he does realize and working on sound stages and stuff. That's another smart element to do. That's why I say, like, again, as an entrepreneur, as a businessman, Tyler Perry knows what he's doing because he has the audience, he has the means. And now with the studio, just money is not an issue. Like, that's the main thing. Money is not a problem. Hey, guys, how's it going? It's Malik here. You're listening to the Bit by Big podcast. Thank you. No, I agree. I think I will say this and I can say this now. I can say this later. You can ask me this in probably the next year. If he gets a writer's room for one of his shows, whether it be Sisters, Young Dylan, uh, Bruh, The Oval, whatever, right. let him get an actual writer's room of young creatives, older creatives, whatever. I bet you Tyler Perry will be in the running for an Emmy. I'll say that right now. If mm. he gets a writer's room, the right writer's room, really anybody at this point, I think he could be in the running for an Emmy. And which is interesting because all you gotta do is sit back and collect the check. 
and collect yeah. the award. Like you don't have to. I'm not saying you don't have to do nothing because what do I know? But it's like, dude, just do it. Give someone else the benefit of helping you because you're helping them too. No, I I definitely agree with you on that note because honestly, you know, being a producer, I've like in my current job experience now, like being a producer has its benefits. And the main thing is like, you get to bring on people that know what they're doing. And, you know, your job is basically just to facilitate that, you know, it's, we're not saying we're, you know, again, as people are listening to this now we are not bashing tyler perry not at all we are fans of tyler perry we are and the creative yes but on here we are saying my biggest it's always been a thing not even just with us but in life no one is above criticism true i don't believe nobody is like there's no one person that i feel like for example one of my favorite filmmakers of all time is barry jenkins right now Mm -hmm. and i've heard a lot of people say like you know he's too sentimental and it's too melodramatic in some parts and it's just a soap opera but it's like and i get that perspective but you know everyone's open to criticism and that's where i feel like you know I need, when we're on here, this is just an analysis of his work. And this is coming from people who are both fans, but also students and also filmmakers and artists in our own right. So it's not like we don't know what the fuck we're not talking about. You know, I do, I do kind of don't like it when people just act like, oh, they, they say bad shit about some art and they have like no idea what it really goes into making a project doesn't matter what the art form is like if they put in the work like i know that like again there are hundreds of millions of movies out in the world and you can see as we talked about the very beginning of this podcast is that people know whether you make whether you make films or not you know the difference between a good movie and a bad one you know something was worth your time and when something is not worth your time And honestly, you know, Tyler Perry's filmography has been very average. It's just, it's just that way. Like, I don't mean to compare, but like, you know, Spike Lee don't have, not everything in his filmography is a masterpiece. True. But the one thing I can say the difference between um, him and Tyler, even though they, it was weird when they, I guess, had beef in the past, but I guess they reconciled. Yeah, they, they came together on that one. I'm glad they did. But like, I can say at least with Spike, like, I'm never going to see the same. I may see similar themes, mm-hmm. but the man is going to actually like try to do something different. He's going to actually like experiment. He's going to take risks. And like, yeah, some of them might literally blow up in his face. Like, you know, this whole his whole take on trying to do a modern vampire movie. And I'm like, this wasn't the move, but it's like, that's something it, different, yeah. You did something different, you know. You didn't make Do the Right Thing 5, like, you know. So, I mean, and the same thing with Barry Jenkins now. He did, you know, with Moonlight and then adapting James Baldwin and then The Underground Railroad. And now this man's about to make the prequel to The Lion King. Like, mm-hmm. you know, for me, I've always admired artists that are, like, very diverse in their body of work and are, like, at least try to do something. They may have this, may have similar themes in their work, 
or it's in their work, but at least they're trying to do something different and they're trying to actually like push things a bit forward, you know? And I feel like with Tyler, it's like, he's kind of like real, he's just kind of in comfort mode. It's like, he knows like, yeah, I'm in the driver's seat. No one's, as long as my, I made the wheel and no one's getting their hand on this wheel. And I feel like at this point, you know, he, there, I don't see why there's, it'd be wrong to just let it go for a little bit. And that's my whole thing. I agree with that completely. I think my whole thing with it is what you just said is he knows he set the tone for what he wants to do. And just as much as I love daddy's little girls, and I actually enjoyed those first couple of Medea movies, um, yeah. you know, the runny head, it feels like he's just been adapting those films. It's just been like, or not adapting, but you know, he's just been remaking your same films and you know you're still getting the acrimonies you're still getting diary diary of a mad black woman but just a different way this and this because i know what type of audience i'm going to have and i know i'm comfortable doing it and it's like okay if that's what you want to do like you really can do a lot so then when you get the uh bt deal it's like okay that's an amazing deal but then you're the only writer on like five to six shows and then you're on BET plus you're on BET plus um and it's like bro you're on so many different things you're on the Viacom deal of like their whole network almost and you're writing everything like just get a writer's room that's all you got to do Tyler just get a writer's room also if you're listening to this Tyler anybody affiliated with him I'm available if you need to hire me but um <laughs> to jump back to uh, a jazz man's blues, Willie Earl. I was surprised when uh, the dad said he was not Willie, Earl, or he said he was Willie Earl's dad. Bayou wasn't his son. I was like, oh wow, okay, that's. Yeah. And the dad was just an extreme hater. Like he just like woke up and was a hater too. Like yeah. for no reason. He was like, why are you such a hater? I said I was saying this to my friend. I was watching this with. I'm like. Like Willie Earl and his father are like literally two perfect case examples of toxic masculinity. It's yeah. just like the fact, yeah, they were just literally hating on Bayou straight out the womb. And it's like, man, why are you purposely embarrassing your son? Like, you know, he ain't got interest in playing in this way mm-hmm. and you don't show him out in front of the family. And I mean, it's a very common thing family members do. And it's like, that's kind of messed up. But yeah, it was... I mean, right from the jump, man, I was like, yeah, like Willie Earl was a hater from the very beginning of this film. And just to see where he downright spiraled, like, honestly, like I was getting really I was like genuinely getting pissed off at his character throughout the movie. It made you mad and made you sad, man. Like, you're actually good at your craft and you're doing I mean, I'm not going to say I'm um, how do I put this? I am not projecting anything against someone doing drugs that is your bias and that is your right. you know your thing that your prerogative but it like in this case of this film it was like someone is trying to help you and he's like no and you're never going to be better than me anyways like whoa what's going on you guys really can take over the music business as brothers why are you so upset for no reason because your brother came along like what yeah I I mean it was just it was just humiliating to watch because I was just like I was getting really really mad because it's like this 
again, it's that bad stereotype of, you know, it's been done in a lot of, it's not, and just in real life too, where like, I just don't like the, I really understood the fact that you got that one family member in your family that's just like genuinely hating on you. And mm -hmm. it's like, why? And I realized that's a lot of the case that is because they're projecting a lot of insecurity yeah. they have within themselves onto that family member. And I feel like, I don't know, I love, I actually like, now that I revisit it, I actually like the opening scene a lot because like, you hear that his father says, come on, buy you sing and like, and perform for us. And like, he doesn't do it, but him saying that he clearly has that gift, but he doesn't like show it off. Yeah. And then, but you know, Willie Earl is like, yeah, come on, son. And like he, his son uses every opportunity to like show off. And I think back to the scene when they're in the jazz club and like, he's just so overwhelmed and he just literally leaves. And then Bayou, like he, he auditions like unknowingly and he's kind of nervous and shy. And that's why I love that scene where it's like, you see him come into his own man. Mm -hmm. even when he does end up being the headliner and running the show he doesn't just be like oh all right willie willie earl i'm not gonna bring you along i'm not gonna go on do your own thing he brings them being a part of the band and like he he actually like, cares about him he cares about him and to see him like literally take advantage of his brother and like because he's like, oh you took everything away from me i'm like i'm literally i'm talking to the movie and i'm like take things like are you serious like he gave you this you would not be where you are right now like you have everything you have currently right now because of your brother and you are literally spitting in his face yeah you're so to see him literally be the demise mm -hmm. of his brother i'm like you you are like the fucking scum of the earth man like that there's there's this there's characters that are like oh you can't forgive I can't forgive shit because people be like oh it was the drugs and it was bad like no nah. from day fucking one it's like you have been shown yourself to be an insecure ass man and he it was, it was hateful it was just all very hateful. hateful and he got that from his father like he True. when his father left say like, oh daddy come with me daddy I want to go with you it's like bro you don't like you an insecure man you don't you're not your own person like. You have so much shit you clearly need to work on mm. and clearly he hasn't and unfortunately a lot of people who are like that they do turn to drugs and alcohol or sex or any kind of means but again that's all it is going to be a means and i think that tyler perry did do that very well like i know in his past film drugs have played a big part in his films and a lot of the reasons they do like these big dramatic changes in their life but I feel in this case also, it is a good commentary because back in the day, like during that time period, drugs were very prevalent yeah. in our community. So the fact that, you know, he had access to that, it was very historically accurate. And then, yeah, just the fact that he just turned, he just turned his brother into the authorities to that point. Like, it's sad to say it's true. Like we've seen people who are on drugs and like, turn their family and friends over for a little for a hit and so it's like so as much as some people are like oh that's over dramatic I'm like no that's that's very realistic like it, I get where some people say I've said like it's over the top that he got lynched but it's like sadly to say it's that was actually that, appropriate yeah I'm like it's during that, that time period I think the only thing which is interesting about that part is 
he turned his brother in and he's not getting anything out of it outside of being okay i'm now back to being the only son in the music business but it's like they're not going to want you in the music business because he's the only reason you're in the music business right now is your brother like without him there's no you so then you've now gotten him killed so it was really just like a sad ending to this film um what did you think about the idea of passing uh leanne and her mom Mm, okay it was actually interesting because i was said i said this out loud when i was watching it it actually made me think about the movie passing recent that i that i've seen recently that came out last Mm -hmm. year so um yeah that element i mean it was it was definitely believable like that element i i don't know it because i don't know like i was watching it and i'm telling my friend i'm like i'm like are you sure she just doesn't pass like a light-skinned black person because she kind of like i don't know because i thought the same like i but again i had to like reassess myself and be like at that time, people were literally that ignorant. The whole paper bag test and everything. So, yeah. like, you literally were not, like, our skin color. I know y'all, for those y'all not going to see us, but, like, you know, Malik is, like, really dark skin, and I very <laughs> much, you know, you know, it ain't trying to be disrespectful. No, I'm, I get your point. I'm messing with you. But, like, you know, I'm very much literally brown. And so, like, you know. I feel like we're not, I, so I get like, if you aren't that exact skin color, like, I guess you can pass. So seeing that dynamic, it was, it was very believable. And that was, unfortunately, that was kind of a thing that was going on mm-hmm. back in the day as well. And again, like her mom, man, like, oh, just her mom was just vile. I'm like, man, you are really, because it's a real life thing. Like you really are playing off your, you truly living off your child, and it's like this is what we're doing right here. Like I might have disliked her mom more than I disliked Willie Earl. Like that's how much I dislike that man. Mom. She didn't try to. Okay, the only reason I say Willie Earl is worse than her mom than Leanne's mom is that Willie Earl didn't try to have him killed. Like he knew if by turning he can't because I know some people. Oh, he was too drugged up to realize what he did wrong. Bullshit. No. Yeah. He no. Knew, he knew it was going. No. On no 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 if you turn your your black brother into the authorities after they know they're looking for him there was only one way that was going to play out yeah and especially because his his sentence going up to the officer was hey i know you're looking for him or something like that like what that's what i'm saying like i have he is one of the most unforgettable unforgivable characters i've seen in a movie in a while because i'm like there's no redemption for this man and and also like side note but also related i feel that's another element in tyler perry's films where i feel like he does put himself on court i was like why does he make people just unforgivably bad like he's got to stop doing that like yes people do bad things but like and maybe it's the op- maybe it's the optimist in me, and maybe it's how I was raised. But I know not everybody is just born evil. Like, and even you—that's the terms. Even like, and that's another thing too. I feel like you know Christians do a lot. They use they love using that term evil on people, and it's like they use it in such a cartoonish way. Like you act like I'm Ursula or Jafar or some shit. Like there's people do bad things, but people there's you can actually grow from a mistake or 
become a better person. So like the fact that he just makes his characters just un like there's no way you can like like be a better person in his world. If you are a bad person, that is what you are. There is no redeeming quality of any kind. But it's interesting because and I wasn't even trying to take it in that direction, but people have brought it up before and you've more than likely seen it. He has this thing in all his films or most of his films, I should say, where it's usually the dark skinned people are the extremely evil. Like I would be considered the most violent man known to man ever on the face of the planet. But if you're light skinned or just lighter tone, then you know you're usually getting abused you're the victim and i don't know why and then why that happens in his films and then in this film he switches it where the everyone who is dark-skinned are more gentle uh you know you love them and then everyone's light-skinned you just hate them and it's like what is with this in this man's films like i don't yeah. understand why he is creating these people who are just heartless like there are some people who are extremely evil and heartless but the characters in his movies are like oh my gosh i've never met someone so evil yeah and that's something again where i feel as a filmmaker he does have to improve on because it's like his characters are very much one note and they're like this is your trait this is your quality this is all you're going to be and that's it and it's Mm -hmm. like you know, and I get some characters literally are there to serve a purpose, but like, I mean, I even agree with you, like even with Daddy's Little Girl, Daddy's Little Girls, for example, is a film where you do see characters start off one way and then end off in the end, like you, there's character growth. Yeah. Where I feel like in his films, his characters barely like actually grow, you know, it's like. It's really rare. And yeah, it is a rare thing to see in his films. So like, when I see these, when I see people do terrible things, they are just like the most vile. And I'm like, man, why do you got to go so hard? Like, I get it. There are bad people in the world. They do bad things. But I'm also like, like life, you know, their people are more than just one thing. And maybe and that's, just, a, sorry, but maybe that's just us being optimistic. I don't know. I mean, I've been in theaters where I've seen a Tyler Perry film people really you know relate to this stuff and they're like oh yeah it was, get them and it's like oh my gosh is this happening in your life like oh my god yeah but it also when I when you say that it also makes me think about that's why I said at the beginning of this like I think about the audience that he's talking to like I want to talk like there's a point where like I want to meet genuine Tyler Perry fans and like I'm not trying to bash you know, I genuinely yeah. want to have conversations and be like what about like I want to go over their films and be like, hey, why did this film particularly hit you? What happened in your life? Because I feel like the if I did that, I would have a better understanding of their audience. You know, bring, bring would, your grandma on the podcast, Brandon. <laughs> Set up. To- I don't think that would be a possibility because she is ninety two years old and she just now understands streaming and oh wow, she don't got no kind of like. Yeah, we set up, I set up her new TV and everything. And like, she still depends solely on cable and doesn't got like Wi Fi like that. So, I mean, nah, 92, that's beautiful, man. Oh, shout I'm, out, shout out I'm, to her. Oh, absolutely. I'm so glad she's still around and everything. Like, 
but no it was just you know I want to understand his audience I feel like the more I'll understand I feel like now at this point in my life I need to I need to actually like meet his audience meet his fans have conversations in the room so that way I feel I'll have a better understanding because I'm not gonna lie like it is kind of like my friend said this and it is a good point she brought up the fact that like the only reason you have this certain way about Tyler Perry is because you've surrounded yourself with a certain group of people that see him in a certain way. Mm -hmm. I was like, damn, like, that's a really good point. Like, I didn't, I didn't take offense to that. I'm like, that's a really good point. Like the people I do talk to Tyler Perry, I'll talk about Tyler Perry with mostly are people who um, are usually like filmmakers. uh, are like filmmakers, cinephiles, people yeah. who just love black film just in general. So I do think that like, you know, I do like, I mean, if people of y'all hearing this now on this podcast, like I genuinely wanna have conversations with people that are non-cinephiles or just people, or just people who have a connection to Tyler Perry's work and like knowing what that significance is. I, I genuinely wanna know. Me too. I mean, I I say this, and also as a plug, uh, I, it's on my Substack, Going Platinum in the Streets. I talk about uh, the quote unquote hood films, and I bring up my experience in college with Tyler Perry's films. Uh, so people read that if you haven't before. But to <laughs> <laughs> to get back to my point, it is true. Like I have realized that myself. Like I'll have conversations with my parents or family members or you know you and other friends. And we'll talk about it, but these are people who know I have like a who have I have a love for film. It's different when I didn't surround myself with people all the time, like conversation with you and our other friends who are we all have backgrounds in film where you don't have that. Like I know people who have never seen Tyler Perry's films and they're like, what is it? And it's like I want. I, it's like I almost want to show them for the first time. <laughs> watch you this. Be their <laughs> yeah, watch this once. <laughs> like I want to. I want you to explore this movie. Like just pop this in and be like, "Here you go. Let's see what your brain thinks about this one." <laughs> I don't know. It's just a personal thing in my life. Is just you know, I do. It's just important to have as many different perspectives on things as much mm-hmm. as possible. And with Tyler Perry's work at this point, I just want to meet people. I want to hear other people's connections to Tyler Perry's work. And, you know, I do know, I can tell this man has a connection with his audience and like people vibe with what he does. But, you know, for this recent project, I can definitely say without question, like, you know, he had, I can tell Tyler Perry really like actually tried to make a good film. And it's funny enough, this is how, again, y'all think we're hating. Let me tell you how much of a fan and a cinephile I am for Tyler Perry. I noticed, I've, you know, I watched his architecture tour of his new studio and everything. Mm. And I've noticed there were scenes on this film where I saw the locations of the studio being used, like certain blocks were like cut off the film. Like when the dude is like, when Bayou is reading the letter, that's literally on the lot. I've seen that build those mm. same red buildings, red brick buildings that he has all over the place. And it's like, I kind of like that. I do genuinely like the fact that he builds a set where like he can use it and he actually ends up using the old house 
if anyone watches it, like go watch like Tyler Perry's architectural digest of his studio. And he talks about using this old house and these red brick buildings. And I've seen that in the film. And I'm like, for this story, it worked. But seeing that old timey stuff and like, you know, his last film that he did, I was like, um, A Fall from Grace. Yeah, and A Fall from Grace. I was like, it kind of negated that. It was like, mm-hmm. now I see it everywhere. Like, I've seen him in the distance. Like, man, you got, you're not, you're cutting corners in the wrong way, my guy. Like, I see the same building in the five six different shots <laughs> whereas this it's like okay you use a couple areas from your studio that's great and the one the one set that really blew me away i mean a lot of people seen it but like i love that club scene because i felt like oh please tell me this was on his lot this is with him actually using his sound stage building a set and like bringing it to life because if he did that kudos to him like i loved when they were in old time in Chicago and like mm. I was, it looked like finally I felt like yes this is not I can tell and just based on how he did this like he actually used different locations and like shooting in the in Alabama and then the bayous and stuff like that like you actually went places you know you actually really cared about this film like you you really cared about this movie not I did not you, no, not you. Oh, yeah. I mean, um, Tyler Perry, and which not saying he didn't care about his other films, uh, but you know he really this is like a legit passion project for this man, which is beautiful. You know, any director should make their passion project, and you know, hopefully this isn't it for him on making films like this. Hopefully he can expand and keep going, um, yeah. and make other budgeted films that are like this whether it be comedy or drama or hopefully he could tip his hat in the horror sci-fi that wouldn't be bad mm. a tyler perry wow a tyler perry horror or sci man hey man i would live to see that i would low-key love to see that because i mean that was the big thing with this is like he the big one that was new and exciting was like it's a period piece he's never done a period piece before so yeah, I would, for my end too, like, I think the next step for him to go is just like, keep exploring other decades, explore the 70s, explore the 50s, like, try sci-fi, try horror, like, you know, there's so many other genres you can tell, you know, but man, just get us, just get some more writers, man. I get it. Like, you That's make, all he needs. You got the money. You are, I get it. You've got the mindset of an in listen, Tyler. If you are listening to this, and I hope low-key you are, somehow if this gets through the internet waves. Yeah. You have the mindset of an indie filmmaker, which in a lot of cases is good, but you got the pockets of a billionaire. Those two things contradict themselves. They just do. I understand your indie mindset is what got you to where you are, but you also got to be willing to accept the fact that your status, your financial status, mm-hmm. your status just in general has changed since you did a diary of a mad black woman. True. Things have changed since you did your first couple plays when you was financed to know it yourself. Like, I get it. You did, you are proud from what the inner, this again, this is coming from people that are a fan. I'm not 
I'm a fan of your work, Tyler. I watch your interviews. I study you just like I do all these other artists and filmmakers and I study. And one of the things that, you always, that he's always said that I've taken, taken into advantage, I even done my own is like, if no one else is gonna do it, I'm gonna do it myself. And I respect that, but there's also a cost to that. There's mm -hmm. always a cost. And Tyler, if you're listening, you're not losing anything. You talk about how these studios don't get it. And like, you have proven that you don't need Hollywood. Hollywood is knocking, you did the thing that you wanted them to do. The people that shut the door in your face are the people that are knocking on your door. That is the most, as a black man, as a black person in this country, that is one of the most beautiful poetic forms of irony I have ever witnessed. And I aspire to be in that sense of direction. So again, for everyone that's listening, we are, I personally can speak for myself as well as Malik. We are not haters. True. We are just critics. Just like everybody else is. We're fans in love of the craft. We just want you to be a little bit more consistent with what you're putting out here, man. Like, <laughs> for sure. Showing out about, oh, I'm making all of this. Like, yeah, you're putting out a lot of stuff, but a lot of that stuff don't got that quality in it. It just doesn't. And I feel, and my friend here feels that it would be a lot better if you included more writers, mm -hmm. you know, allow other directors to get behind the camera, yep. like write the scripts. And if you're going to write the scripts, that's fine. Let somebody else direct it. Bring on other cinematographers, bring on other creatives who can adapt the work and interpret it in a way you know and at the end of the day you got the money if they interpret it in a way that you don't like it guess what it doesn't have to see the light of day yeah we would never know you can say like you tried something we would have zero clue if it never even worked out exactly you literally are you're the student he is the studio yeah so it's like it's hard for me i just want him to just take more risk because he can genuinely afford to he can afford to take risks. That's why I'm like, when I see the when I see these L's that he takes in these movies, I'm like, Tyler, why? Why? You are too much in this game. You've been in this game too long enough and have made and are now enjoying the fruits of your labor well enough to this point where like you can take some risk. You don't have to be in that indie mindset all the time. You're not that same man you were when you was in your car trying to get by writing your first play and getting getting deals with people and getting half of your worth and you were supposed to be like mm. i don't know like even for me i can speak on this like i'm currently in an aspect of my life where i'm now like actively i mean i've always have been i'm like but i can legit say i'm actively working in my career right now and a lot of that mindset that I used to have, like, just to give a little bit of background, like, I'm currently working as a video producer for, like, a very big theater company in Chicago, one of the biggest ones in the world, actually. And I'm now about to do, officially, have my first year with these guys. And I can genuinely say for a fact, a lot of that job required me to required me to unlearn a lot of things that I thought I did when I came in. Yeah. I went in with like, okay, I'm an indie filmmaker and I have to grab all these things. Like, this is the first time I've just had an abundant amount of resource. 
an abundant amount of time to do certain things and doing things on a deadline or having to like abundance. The main key word in this, I'm trying to make a point is that I have abundance now. And I came into this job without having that much abundance. Everything was all resource, resource, resource. But I don't have to always have that state of mind with this job. So I learn, I'm learning and currently learning that unlearning certain things will help you get better to get to the next stage of your craft. You know, so now in the fact that when people come to me or ask me advice or want to work with me, I have multiple perspectives. I know how to work with different types of budgets now, and I know what works, what how much it is to really do a good production where it isn't like, but the main thing is, like I said, again, you got to be willing to unlearn what you have learned. Mm. And I feel like Tyler Perry needs to do that. He needs to unlearn the fact that he is not that broke, struggling indie playwright filmmaker anymore. He is a self-made billionaire with the largest film studio in the country with resources to boot and connections out the wazoo. So something's got to give. <laughs> And that, my listeners, is Brandon Jones. <laughs> he right there just <laughs> laid it down. Just I got to add like a mic drop. Just... <laughs> hey, you know, you kept it honest. You know, that's exactly what we would say. Uh, you know, usually in our text and calls, that's what we talk about. But um, before I get off this call, I want to ask you, which one would you choose? And honestly, think about this. I really think about it. A jazz man's blues, or if Bill Street could talk. Wow, you yeah. really just asked me that. Yeah, yeah, I did. Really, you really asked me that on this Tuesday night. <laughs> man, look, I'm gonna keep it 100 with you. Keep it a buck, man. I have Bill Street can talk on my wall. You do. That is true. Yes. Like. This, again, I don't mean to compare, but I'm going to kind of do it unapologetically. Moonlight was already, is already in my top 10 films of all time. Mm. So when he was doing, when he announced he was doing Bale Street, I was like adapting James Baldwin on top of that. I was already excited. When I finally saw that film, I was like, this is a man to watch. Like, the way he adapted that story and just, again, I've said this many times, I think it's not just the best, it's not just one of the best like black love stories of all time. Yeah. Because it is kind of sad and it is have somber, but like it's the best film about black love, period. You're seeing black love romantically, platonically hmm. within the fam. Like there were so many aspects of black love in one movie where I'm like, damn. No one has done this. True. No one has done this. Whereas, you know, like you said about as your the Twitter post you came across is like, you know, the jazz man, the blues is very familiar in the sense that it does have the structure of the notebook and mm -hmm. a lot of movies that tend to go back and forth from the present day into the past. Yeah. And just... But just the tone of Bale Street, man, like Barry Jenkins right now, like, I'm gonna say this live, like, I really, I know when I meet Barry, I'm going to probably 
I'm gonna hold it in. I'll be like, this tell year, the truth. You're gonna cry. I'm gonna probably cry, and I'm gonna say, talk I'm, gonna that say talk. Also, I'm gonna say this also too. Like, I work. I recently this year I got a chance to meet Terrell McCraney for the first time. Let him know who that is. I've met him on like multiple occasions, actually, which is like. Who's Terrell McCraney for the people that don't know? You know, I know. Yeah. So Terrell McCraney is a playwright and a screenwriter. And he was the one who basically wrote the play that Barry Jenkins saw and adapted for the film Moonlight. Mm -hmm. And I got a chance to work on his production of Choir Boy. And I got a chance to just have like a couple minutes with him and, you know, it was just really interesting to hear his perspective. And like, that was through Moonlight was how I learned and discovered Terrell. And then, you know, obviously it's such, again, it's such irony for me and kind of poetic, like I am where I am right now because I'm actually working at the place where like this man literally spent his early years like developing his voice as an artist and as a writer and getting a chance to like adopt one to capture and adopt one of his works mm-hmm. and to hear him literally personally message me and be like I love the trailer to what you did to my work great job you know that's a moment that's going to stick with me because it's like it's one of those reminders like that's why I'm doing this shit you know everyone here on this podcast like we really love what we do. Yeah. We really love it from writing a film to music to being an author of a children's book. Like there's love but behind what we do. Mm-hmm. And so I love with both Bale Street and the Jasmine's Blues, I will say, there's passion behind both of them. But Barry, Barry's a whole nother beast, man. You can't that man i still that i don't i got the poster i got the bale street soundtrack on vinyl like what barry jenkins is doing for black cinema right now like that man gave me hope because i'm not gonna hold you out when i saw moonlight i was at a point in my career where in my creative journey where i still was trying to figure out my voice and when i saw moonlight at the landmark century cinema i was like okay, I can, I can do this. And so I know when I meet this man one day, I'm going to probably lose my shit. Cause it's like, and if Barry, if somehow you hear this, I just want you to know, man, like you, the reason I'm still doing this shit, you gave me hope. I'm like, okay, I can feel shit. I can empathize and it's okay to be vulnerable. And you can show that in a very beautiful way. That's beautiful, man. Well, Thanks, Brandon, for coming on to the podcast and breaking down films. Tyler Perry, we got to get you back on again. Um, man, anytime, man. You already know you, my boy. Just just hit me up. You got my number. So this true. is really nice to do, honestly. And I got to say this to you, too, before we cut off. Like, I'm fucking proud of you, man. I want to get that on tape, even though this is not tape. I sound so old when I say that. <laughs> oh, my <laughs> like, gosh, Grandpa. Oh, you know, tape. But, um... <laughs> No, man, I need y'all to understand this man has been wanting to do a podcast for like years, like since college, my guy, like he's been trying to do this for a long time. So to see him now, years later, being persistent and actually doing it, I'm proud of you, man. I'm proud of you. 
Thank you. And likewise, you, man, you know, you have a really successful career going and everything you've been going through. You always know I got your back, man. 